Peter before he became a disciple and, and before he really, like, learned to trust God. Um, you know, he wasn't always, you know, this, this great, perfect, you know, rock that I'm going to build my church on. He, he had a lot of, a lot of character flaws. And, um, and it's interesting to think about, Peter's one of those people that we actually get a, a glimpse of his life kind of along the way. And we see that he, like, you know, he takes two steps forward and then one step back, you know. And, and we get to see kind of the process of, of a human learning to trust God with his life. And um, I think what's really interesting is that as Peter's learning, Jesus doesn't shame him. He's not like, hey, how, how could you not you know, trust me? He's just like, let me just show you the next step. Let me, let me bring you along to trust me a little deeper. And the mystery of how God does that in our hearts is profound. I, I don't know that we really understand how that works. Um, but we have a loving God that, like, teaches us step by step how to trust him. And it reminds me of well, when I was dating my wife some 15 years ago, uh, my brother, who's seven years older than me and very adventurous, called me up and was like, hey, I, I want to do this amazing trip, and I want to go rock climbing in Joshua Tree National Park. So if you guys ever been in Nash Joshua Tree National Park, it's got these really cool trees that kind of look like Dr. Seuss trees, and then there's these giant rock formations all over the place, and it's very desert-like. And so he's like, we're going to go, and we're going to be rock climbers. He's like, I've got I've got, I'm buying all the gear, just fly down, meet me down in California, we're going to go on this great trip. So I get there, and we've got all the gear. He's got the shoes, he's got, you know, the, you know, the harness, and the ropes, and all the, all the anchors and everything. And he's been starting to learn how to rock climb. And I have never in my life touched a rock. Um, and so we get down there, and we stay at this, like, kind of cool bed and breakfast, and we go to check in, and like, oh, what are you guys here for? And my brother's, like, kind of puffs his chest out. He's like, we're rock climbers. We're here to rock climb. And it's a four-day guided rock climb trip. So we have a guide there showing us how to rock climb along the way. So at that point in time, I knew nothing about rock climbing, but, you know, it felt good to say I was a rock climber. I have the gear. Um, so the next morning we get up. We literally meet him at the base of this rock at, like, 6 a.m., because it gets to be like 100 degrees uh, later in the afternoon. So you got to kind of start early. So we get there, and we're like, I'm ready to rock climb. And he's like, oh, today we're not going to be doing much rock climbing. We're just going to be doing some bouldering. So for those of you guys who don't know what bouldering is, it's like you are staying within five or six feet of the ground, just kind of climbing up a boulder and then falling back down and climbing up a boulder just to kind of get our skills. And we have... My brother was my partner. There was a couple other people there. Brother's a partner, and then he stands behind you, and you kind of boulder a little bit. And then when you fall, he, like, keeps you from, like, breaking your leg or whatever, right? And honestly, I got more hurt that first day than I did the rest of the time because you're right close to the ground, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not very far off the ground, so I can totally do this. And um, realized that I knew very little, if not, not nothing, about rock climbing at that point. And uh, then later in the day, he's like, okay, we're going to teach you about safety and how to use ropes, and how to set protection, and like all this stuff. And at the end of the first day, we had done very little rock climbing. We've just kind of learned the basics. So, you know, we got back to the, the place, and the lady's like, how's your rock climbing? Oh, yeah, we're, 
we're really, uh, we're doing a lot of rock climbing. We, we, we just kind of pretend, you know, that, that we know what we're doing, and, and we've been rock climbing, had a great day. And it was a great day. It was fun. Learned. Anyways, the days continued. We learned uh, more skills, right? So you kind of first start, you kind of learn to, to trust the ropes. So if you've never rock climbed before, I mean, you can imagine, actually, when I think about rock climbing, my hands get sweaty. At least right now, I'm like starting to feel sweaty in my hands. So you got you to start climbing, and uh, with the, the, the second day, the instructor went to the top and tied us, tied into like a metal anchor, threw the ropes down, and it was probably, I don't know, 60, 70 feet, and then at the bottom, we hook into our harness, and you start to climb, you know, and, and, and he's kind of, he's there like t- teaching you what to do, and eventually you get up about 10 feet up, and you're like, oh crap, now if I fall, I know what it feels like to fall from like four feet, now I'm at 10, 12 feet, and like, I, I'm gonna fall, right? And you start to shake, and you're nervous, you're sweaty, and until the first time you fall, you are racked with fear. You do not want to fall. You don't want to hurt yourself. But the first time you fall, and you slip, and, and your partner's back down there, catches you, puts the brake on, and you're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. So you go again and a couple times. Then after you fall on a couple times, you start getting real, like, you know, confident on it. I remember my brother was, was, was putting the brake on for me. He was, in, and I'd be like, hey, I'm going to Spider-Man this one, which for me was the, where the where handhold is that I wanted to grab was, like, further, higher than I could reach. So I was going to jump for it. I was like, make sure you, you know, make sure you got me. He's like, I got you, I got you. So I'd, like, jump and try to grab on, you know, and catch it which was super fun, but you, you kind of learned to trust the ropes. The ropes are going to get you, and it kind of gave you a little bit of peace and calm. So we did that, um, and then the next day we're out there, and we're climbing. He's like, okay, what I want you to do, um, I want you to climb up and throw an anchor in into a crack. So you climb up, you know, you go, you free climb the first 10 feet. You don't have any any protection, but, you know, you can do that now, and then you just shove this little metal thing into the crack, and kind of pull on it, like, yeah, that looks good, I think, and then you clip into it, and you run your rope through it, and then you climb up another four, five, ten feet. Well, here's the deal. When you go to fall, if you think about it, it all your weight's gonna, you're gonna fall, the distance you are above your anchor, and then that far lower than the anchor, so it's, it's a quite a big drop, and then you're like, my anchor's gonna hold, right? And it's pretty freaky, right? So you, you kind of you start learning to like, okay, I learned how to put the anchors in, learn how to trust my anchors. It's you know start going good. Then the next day, he's like, okay, well, probably later in the day, he's like, I want you to start learning how to trust your feet. Because I get about halfway up the rock, still not making it to the top of the rock, halfway up, and you're tired, you're exhausted, your arms are killing you. Um, and then why are they killing you? Because you're not using your legs, because you're thinking, what's gonna give me the most safety? If I can hold on to something with my hands. I'm going to be the safest I can be. So you're sitting there holding on and holding on and, hold, and then just kind of like trying to, trying to find something for your feet so you can grab onto the next whole thing. And really, if you're a good rock climber, you don't hardly use your hands, which is the weirdest thing. You climb with your feet and your hands are just kind of like this because your, your legs have a lot more strength and you can go a lot further. So finally, I remember um, the last day, we gotten pretty good at rock climbing and um, he's like, here's the goal. With this giant, he brought us to this new rock. It was this giant, it was like 90 feet tall, and the last 20 feet was like a sheer rock face. 
And he's like, I want you guys, oh, I want each of you guys to get to the top and touch the anchor at the top. There's a little metal thing at the top. So we tried all day to try to get to the top. And finally, he was like, to me, he was like, okay, this is your last, we were running out of time. It's your last chance. Get back up there. So I was like, okay. So I climb up. I'm learning to use my legs. And then I get to the sheer rock face. And there's no handholds. And I am way up there. Like, I can't even, like, hardly, hardly hear the people. They have to, like, shout. Like, you know. And I am pretty nervous. I mean, I, I realize that I'm on a, ro- on a rope. But, and the instructor says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to stand up. I'm like, I'm on a sheer rock face. How do I stand up? Like, I'm standing, really. He's like, no, I want you to put your feet underneath you and put your butt out. I'm like, I don't have anything to, I don't have anything to hold on to. How is this possibly going to work? I remember sitting there for like 10, 15 minutes. He's like, you're just going to have to trust me on this one. So I do. And what happens is that you, and I don't even know the science behind it, but your weight distribution on your feet your feet have like these rubber that kind of grab onto the rock. So even though the rock was smooth, there's some variation in the rock. And for some reason, if you shift your weight out, you can like, I literally climbed the last 10, 15 feet with my hand like, like this, with my butt out and just walked up it with the traction on my toes, getting me all the way up. And I got to the top and I hit the thing. I was like, let me down, you know, but we were like super excited about how four days, the first day I couldn't even climb three or four feet, and by the end, I was climbing up and touching the rock. And honestly, I think that this is a really good analogy to think about how our Christian life is. And, and we, uh, you know, we don't all learn it all in the first day. And in fact, a lot of times, sometimes I feel like we feel a lot of shame where people say, hey, you should be able to be up at the top of the rock by now. And, and we find God is super patient with us, and he teaches us how to trust him one step at a time. He's not asking Peter in this passage. He's not going to walk on water. That's a lesson for another day, right? He's just going to teach him the next step. And God asks us to teach him, just teach us. He, he asks us to trust him with just our next step. And eventually we learn to trust him, and we learn to overcome our fears, and we learn to do some amazing things as we trust Jesus. So um, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. Uh, verses 1 through 11. And what I want to do to kind of start this off, just a little bit different. Um, this is a, a passage that, um, in my mind, is a flannel graph passage. If you guys have ever, uh, were at church a long time ago, we had flannel graphs, you know, very uh, two-dimensional, like little pictures of Jesus walking around, you know, and, and it loses a little bit of its reality when it's a flannel graph passage, something that we're very familiar with. So what I want you to do is um, we're not going to put—I don't want the, the, the message up here. I, I just want you guys to close your eyes. I'm going to read through it, and I want you to engage your five senses, right? What do you see? That's easy. What do you smell? What do you hear? What do you taste, if there's something to taste? Uh, what, do, what do you touch? I want you to try to engage your five senses while we read the passage. And this is something you can do anytime you're reading God's Word. You can really kind of get a sense of what's going on. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. So here I go. I'm going to read 1 through 11. And I'm going to go slowly so you can imagine it. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gesenaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They, singled to the, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. For now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay, you guys can, you can open your eyes. And I think it's really interesting as you, as you try to visualize it, you know, I, I immediately, you know, we're in the Northwest, you think of a lake, right? He says, um, you can put up verses, the first verses here. Verses one, he's, he's at the Lake of Gennesaret. For those of you not familiar, that's the same as the uh, Sea of Galilee. Okay, so he's by this lake. And this lake is, I have here, it is... Uh, 64 square miles. So you're like, oh yeah, and you know exactly what that is. Think of uh, Lake Chelan as 52 square miles. Okay, so just think about maybe Lake Chelan, right? So just picture Lake Chelan, you know? And uh, Jesus is there, and the crowd is pressing in on him, right? So think of he's trying to talk, and people just kind of keep crowding closer and closer to him, and he's like backing up. Maybe people are kind of getting trampled, and he's, he's like trying to speak, but like People are so close to him that, like, the people in the back can't hear. So Jesus is like, okay, this is, like, not going well. i got to kind of figure this out. This is, this is me envisioning what's going on, right? Uh, so if there's a large crowd of people, it's prob- they're probably loud and noisy, and there's people talking. And, um, and then he goes down to the, to, the, to the shore, and there's some boats there. And I, like, I hear seagulls. I don't know there might not be seagulls there, but, you know, if around here you hear the seagulls and the— the lap of the water, um, and then as he gets to the boat, in my mind, I smell the smell of, like, dead fish, right? Because he's on a fisher boat, fisherman's boat, right? And it doesn't matter they hadn't ca- caught any fish that night. Like, it, there's, there's probably a, a nice odor of, of dead fish there, right? So um, he saw two boats. The fishermen had gone out and were washing their nets, just kind of gets the thing. You know, they're kind of having their day, right? They've been out fishing all day. They didn't catch anything. They're washing their nets, you know, um, they're at work. And this crowd just like all of a sudden de- descends upon them. Um, and, uh, and Jesus is like, hey, uh, Simon, can I, can I have a ride on your boat? I don't know if you've ever like, been out on a boat all day, on, let's say if you had a boat, and then you come back and someone's like, hey, can, I, can we go for a ride? And you're like, yeah, I've kind of already, uh, already kind of cleaned everything up here, you know, like it's, it's time to to wrap things in. Just, just a little off the shore. Just a little, okay, so Jesus gets on the boat, um, and I kind of did some research on, like, what this boat probably looked like, and they found an old boat in, like, 84 that was 
had been sunk in that sea. And so they think this is about what Jesus, they call it the Jesus boat. You can, you can look it up. Um, 27 feet long by seven and a half feet wide. And then the, uh, the kind of the hull of the boat sat up probably about four feet off, off the water. So there's Jesus. He kind of climbs on the boat, and he just has him push off a little bit. And then he, he's just sitting, I don't know, sitting on the side of the boat, just kind of four, four feet up. Um, and they probably had a crew of men. It wasn't just a one-man boat. It wasn't even a two-man boat. There was probably, you know, a half a dozen guys there helping, working with Peter. So just try to kind of get this concept of what's going on. Um, and so Jesus, get, getting into the boats, which is Simon's, this is verse 3, he asked them to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And I just want to, like, stop there. Because I think we, we rush on to the fish part. And we forget what's going on here for Peter. Think about, he's probably super annoyed, right? He's there, he's working, he didn't get his fish. He's, he's the boss. It sounds like there were two of them were partners. Then they had the workers with them. So he's probably thinking, you've got to pay these guys. We're out all night. They're tired. They're, you know, they've been working, and they didn't catch any fish. And then all of a sudden, this, this crowd descends upon them, right? Noisy, loud. They're like, hey, we just, can you guys get away from the nets? We're just, we need to clean these nets, you know? Like he's, they're, they're trying to do their job, and Jesus and the people show up. And if it was anyone other than Jesus, you know, Peter would probably be like, all right, like, I gotta work. I'm here to work, you know. Your, your, your cousin comes over and wants to, you know, hey, can we come sit on your boat? He's like, listen, I gotta work. I'm working here. And I just, I, I, I think about what this w- would have been like for Peter. Um, and I think about our lives often um, where we get busy and we've got stuff going on and we have these interruptions that come. Something happens in our life and, and it interrupts our flow, interrupts our day. And we're frustrated, right? We're frustrated that we have an interrupt. You get a flat tire on the way to work. It's frustrating, right? Things that don't go our way are frustrating. And I, I'm, I'm anticipating here that Peter's having a frustrating day. He already, we already know it didn't go his way because he didn't catch the fish. But now he's got Jesus, he's got all these crowds, and he's just trying to do his job. And he's probably feeling frustrated. And Jesus asked to sit on his boat. And I wonder how many times we get interrupted in our day, and it's really Jesus asking us to sit on our boats, to interrupt us for a minute, to spend some time close with us. And we're like, listen, I'm busy. I've got things to do. I've got work to do. I've got life to do. Like, I'm too busy, God. Right? And if you think about it, this is probably the most strategic thing Jesus can do. Catch me on this, okay? Um, so, so when, um, when we were looking at, when I was looking at it, this is probably not the first time Peter meets Jesus. Because there's, there's a story earlier in the chapter where it says that Jesus went to Simon's house and healed his mother-in-law. So Simon has met Peter before, and then in an, another gospel, it talks about Andrew introducing Peter to Jesus. So it's very possible that Jesus, he's met Jesus two other times, and then this is like the third time. And the first time Jesus meets him, he goes, hey, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And so Peter's there. He's like, all right, cool. That sounds fun, whatever. And then later, later on, he heals his mother-in-law. 
And then all of a sudden, Peter's back at work, right? Peter's like, okay, that was, that was fun, but I'm not, I'm not all in on this Jesus thing. This is how I anticipate this going. There's some debate on whether or not this all kind of happened in the same day or if it was different days, but very likely, the way the chron- chronology works, that Peter's already met Jesus, and maybe he's letting him sit on his boat out of obligation. He's like, well, you did heal my mother-in-law, you know? I mean, I can, I can let you sit on my boat for a little bit, but it's really strategic for Jesus because if Peter has not started to follow him, Jesus has big plans for Peter. And Jesus, Peter's like, great, like, you go do your thing. I gotta go back to work. So he's back at work, and Jesus is like, well, if you're not gonna follow me, come on, guys. I got a place where I want to teach you from. I want to go to Peter's boat. So now Peter has no choice but to listen, right? He's there. He's sitting there on the boat with Jesus going, all right, man, we gotta, we gotta get these because he's nest wrapped up, I gotta get home to my wife, I got things to do. And Jesus is like, Yeah, I need to sit on your boat for a little bit. And uh, in Proverbs 16 9, it reminds me of this uh, the Bible says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And what that means is that we make all these plans for our life, and that's good. We wake up in the morning, like, Okay, I'm gonna get this done, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go after this. And that's great. But it's really God who, like, determines what our day looks like. And so when our day does not go the way we think, I want to challenge you. I want to propose to you that maybe God is trying to get our attention. Maybe he's trying to say, hey, hey, I know you've got a plan. I know you've got something you got to do, but, like, I just want to sit on your boat for a little bit. You're stuck in traffic. Maybe just it's an opportunity to let Jesus sit on your boat for a while. Maybe listen. Say, God, I'm, I'm here. What are, you trying to, what are you trying to say to me? What do you got for me? today. I got a busy day, but like, now I'm stuck in traffic. Now I'm stuck in a line. Now my life is different. And I, and I, I think that it's very important for us to just take a step and, and think about that. And if you think about it, Jesus, God does this all the time. Moses in the burning bush, he's out there working. He's got his flocks of sheep, and he sees this like burning bush, and he's like, goes walking over, and Jesus, God's like, hello. And he's like, oh, what? like he gets interrupted. Jacob is living his life, and he has a dream where, where Jesus comes, or God comes, and wrestles with him, and, you know, like, people are doing their life, living their life, and then God shows up and interrupts them, and, uh, I mean, even, we just got talk, got through, um, uh, Christmas season, and Mary, you know, she's living her life, and the angel interrupts him, or even Paul on the road to Damascus, he's doing his thing, and God interrupts, and so, my thought for you, my challenge for you is if Jesus asks to sit on your boat, if there's an interruption in your life, will you listen? Will you learn to trust Jesus in the interruptions? Okay, I'm going to move on. John, uh, Luke 5, 4 through 5. This is called Trusting Jesus in the Deep Water. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down my nets. So what's interesting is Peter's been listening now this whole time, and now God's, Jesus is like, hey, I'd I'd like you to do something now, right? It's much easier to listen, right? I'm listening, I hear it, you know, you hear a good speaker, I'm sure Jesus told great stories, and so people love to listen to Jesus. And in fact, um, 
as I was uh, reading through Matthew, it seems like Jesus is always saying, hey guys, guys, it's good to listen, but like someone who does actually, like does something with what I say, that's the person who actually believes. And honestly, I don't think Jesus, Peter believes in Jesus. He's like, listen, we're not going out fishing. You know, like this is not a good idea. I mean, he does, but he doesn't want to. He's not saying, oh, Jesus is going to, I've got faith to move mountains. Let's go do this, Jesus. He's like, come on, Jesus, this is dumb. You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I've spent all my life on these waters. I know what's going on here, um, but I will do it for you. You know, you see him like rolling his eyes in his head. He doesn't have faith in Jesus. He's not saying, well, this is God. So this is, anything could happen. He's like, all right. All right, crazy teacher. You know, let's do this. Um, and so he calls Peter to, to do something, to, to make a change, to take a step, right? He's at the shore. He let him sit on the boat. And he's like, all right, that's good, guys. You're done with your little talk. Time to go, you know? And he's like, no, we're going to, let's go out in the water a little bit. And uh, in Matthew 7, 24 and 25, um, it seems like Jesus always comes back to this kind of thought. He says here, anyone who hears these words of mine and does them— and in this case, it says, we'll be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. He's very concerned that a lot of the people are listening to him, but like it's not changing them. It's not affecting them. It's not moving them to action. So Jesus says, okay, I want you to take this next step to trust me in the deep, in the deep waters. Um, and if you think of uh, the boat as maybe symbolizing our lives, right? You know, so we let God sit on our boat interrupt us. We listen to him. And then he's like, okay, I want, I want you to take your life, and I want you to trust me with something. Something that's foolish. Something that doesn't make sense. Something that's a little impossible. And, and I'm curious in our hearts, like, what is it that God has been calling you to do, calling me to do with our lives that requires some effort, requires us to trust him, to take the next step, right? We get comfortable on the shore, we get comfortable in the shallow waters, right? Where we can kind of control everything, right? That's, that's where we like to live. And God says, no, let's just come a little deeper with me, right? Let's just, come on, let's just, let's just trust me. You know, it's like me doing the rock climbing, and, and he's like, let's, let's just go a little higher, right? Let's just trust me. Just, you know, trust the ropes, you know? He's, he's trying to teach Peter to trust him. And um, one of the things that also occurred to me about this is that for the Hebrew people, deep waters symbolized evil and chaos, okay? So when they thought about deep waters, they thought about, you know, sea creatures. And they actually believed like demons and the devil lived in the deep waters, right? So deep waters was like, this is the place where God has no rain, if you will, right? So he's like, I want you to trust me where it's evil, where it's dark, where it feels like God's not in control, right? That's, that's a different kind of trusting Jesus. Like, I can trust you on the shore. I can trust you when I can control things. But how about out here where you don't know what's going to happen, right? And I think it's really cool as, as you look through the, the New Testament, Jesus is always proving that he's in control of the waters, Right? And, and, and that's just an encouragement to us with, we see our lives and we see the world and we see all the evil and darkness around us. And God, Jesus is like, you know what? I can walk on these waters. I can create the storm. I can stop the storm. 
and it communicated something deeper to those people than it communicates to us. We're like, oh yeah, we know the science behind everything, you know. He's like, this is, this is kind of different for them. And I think God's calling us in this time to trust him when the waters seem deep and it seem dark and they seem evil. And Jesus is like, just come on, just trust me, I've, I've got this. And then I, I thought about Peter. I was like, I don't think Peter was scared of the waters, right? Peter's a fisherman, you know, they used to say they, uh, you know, rock and roll stars had made a deal with the devil, you know, that, I don't know if you remember that, like there was, that was a, th- a culture thing for us. I wouldn't be surprised if in his day, they thought of fishermen a little bit like that, right? They're like, yeah, he knows a little too much about those deep waters. Like he's, he's not afraid like he should be. Um, so Peter is not afraid of the deep waters, but Peter knows it's ridiculous. He knows it's, it's foolish. He knows it's impossible. And I think that just makes it all the more better that he's like, okay, we're going to do this. But. And he says, Jesus, you're going to have to tell me where to throw the nets. He's like, I know how to throw the nets. I know where to throw the nets, but this is going to be all on you when it doesn't work. Right? And I think that, that that's okay. Like, let's not shame Peter in that. We might be in that spot where we're like, listen, Jesus, I don't get it. I don't even trust you, but I'm going to take another step. And this is not going to work out, but I'm going to trust you a little bit more today. There's no shame in it. We're watching Peter, and I can just imagine Jesus just enjoying, just bringing, bringing Peter a little bit deeper in his relationship with him. Let's, let's move on. Luke 5, 6 through 10. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their f- nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And I've titled this section, Trusting Jesus with Our Worst. Okay, so they catch this ridiculous amount of fish, right? I, I, don't, I don't know how, how it worked back then, but just think about one boat out there, and he throws out his net, their nets, and they start pulling the, the nets up, and it's, you know, they're, they're breaking, and they start offloading the fish into the boat. I mean, just kind of imagine, you know, the smells and the water and the, you know, and it's kind of a frenzy, and they're like, oh man, there is more than we can fit in this boat. Maybe, maybe they've already got their boat full, where it's like, okay, we've got, we took on a lot of water. This is not looking good. So they start yelling. I, I, I'm picturing that the other boat's still at the shore, where there's still a bunch of people there. He's like, come on out here. We need your help. So they finally, so they're sitting there with this, like, precarious situation where they've got fish in the boat and water in the boat, and they've got, still got a whole net full of fish, and they're kind of hanging on while they're waiting for the other boat to come. And then the, finally the boat comes, and they, like, somehow hand their, and they must have to get the the boats close together, hand the nets off to the other crew, and then they start pulling on their boats, and now they're full, and it says start to sink, and I, my guess is they still had to let some of the fish go. They're like, hey, we, we, we're going to sink, so we're going to have to let, we can't take on all these fish. It's, it's a ridiculous amount of fish. I don't know if you ever kind of think through, like try to imagine what it was like. In fact, I don't know how Simon actually got on his knees before Jesus. If they had so much fish, you know, was he like kneeling in the fish? Like, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, there's just a lot going on in, in, this, in this passage here, right? But all of a sudden, Peter sees something he didn't see before. He's like, oh, this isn't a good teacher. 
This isn't a prophet. This isn't just a good man. This is something else. This is like, this is like God. Jesus is like, yeah, no, I've been trying to tell you this the whole time, right? Like he realizes it finally for the first time. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, if you look back in the Bible, um, you know, when Isaiah had the vision of the Lord, his first response was, woe is me, I'm a people of unclean lips. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in a people of unclean lips. It's this response of like, ah, uh, this is like, I'm not worthy of this situation. Like, I, I, there's like a heavy weight of guilt that he feels. And what's really interesting is when he says, I'm a sinful man, this is not like, I'm a man who sins. That's not what he says here. This is like a different word than they usually use when they talk about sin, sinful person. It said in the translation that this was a word used for someone who was stained with certain vices or crimes. So Peter's saying like certain vices, like, I'm an addict, Jesus. I'm a drunk. I don't know. Or maybe he's saying, I'm a criminal. I've done some bad things. You've got the wrong person. Like, you might be God, but do you know who I am? Right? Like, he's, he's okay with him being God, but he's like, I've got some, I've got some crap in my life. I've done some things. In fact, he, he so quickly identifies himself. He's like, I'm, I, I identify as a really bad person, and I'm okay with that. Right? And Jesus is like, no, I know. That's, you're the one I want right here. It's you and me, Peter. Jesus isn't afraid of his sin. Right? He says, don't be afraid. And he knows all the things that Peter's probably afraid of being rejected. He's like, oh, yeah, you're right. That's Peter. Yeah, you're right. You're way too far gone for me. Right? Oh, your brokenness. I forgot about that, right? Like, he doesn't, you know, Peter's in the moment. He's just like, man, this is, this is not happening. I am a broken, I'm a bad person, and I know I'm a bad person. So, like, this isn't happening, God. You know, he's like, I'm breaking up with you, God, before you can break up with me, right? This is how Peter's feeling in this situation. And Jesus asked him to trust him with his worst, and I, I want to challenge each of us to, are we, we may believe in God. We may let him sit in our boat and listen to God. We may even do some things once in a while for God. But God's like, no, no, okay. I want you to trust me with your worst, with your brokenness, with the things that have been done to you. You know, the damage that's been done when you were a kid or other people have damaged. He's like, I want you to give me that. I want to heal you emotionally, spiritually. And we carry around sin and brokenness and we don't want to show God. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden and we're hiding. We're like, God, you, you know what I did this time. And he's like, don't be afraid. Give me your worst. I'm not afraid of it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to trust me with that. That's, that's even deeper than just you know, okay, God, I'm gonna, you know, do something different with my life, but it's like, okay, I, I, want, I want your worst. <sighs> Over 20 times in the Bible, God says to man, do not be afraid. Jacob, Joshua, Moses, Elijah, I mean, the list goes on. It's like the number one thing God says to humanity is, 
Do not be afraid. Trust me. And Jesus proves we can trust him as he, when he dies on the cross, you know, he, he comes to us today and shows us the nails and the prints in his hands. He's like, you can trust me. I've already taken care of this. I've already paid for it. I've proven you. I'm not, I'm not, it's not a bait and switch. I'm not saying show me your garbage so I can make fun of you and reject you. He's like, just bring it to me. I'm, I, I can take care of all this for you. And then at the end of this little section, he says, from now on, you're going to be catching men. And um, Jesus is like, I'm going to redeem your career. And not all of us are called to abandon our careers and become church planters, if you will, like Peter's. And we'll learn a lot about Peter in the, year, in the weeks and months coming up. But not all of us are, are, are called to do that. But he's like, you know what? He, I love it how he uses the fishing language. I'm make you fishers and men. I'm going to have you, like, we're going to catch people. And he's like, you know what? Being a fisherman is perfect for the job I have for you. Being a chiropractor is perfect for the job I have for you. Being a steel worker is the perfect for the job I have for you. Being a software developer, that's what I do. You know? That's perfect. You're your background, your history, your brokenness is perfect for the job I have for you. I want to redeem it. I want to use that for my honor and for my glory. That brings us hope. In Matthew five sixteen, it says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus often talked about being salt and light, about wherever you go, wherever God calls you in Marysville, Washington, wherever you are, to be salt and to be light. To be not out of the world, but in the world, in your jobs, in your neighborhoods, in your families. To be people who are trusting God. And when God says, hey, I, I got something for you today. You have an interruption. That's an opportunity for you to say, all right, God, are you asking me to do something here? Maybe you have to say a word of encouragement to someone you don't want to. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's just being kind when you are tired and don't want to be kind, right? God calls us to trust him with that. And then the very end here, I'm going to wrap this up here. Luke 5, verse 11. And they brought their boats to land, and they left everything and followed him. And I know what you're thinking. What happened to the fish? Right? That's what everyone's thinking right now, right? So you got all these fish in the boats, and they pull up, and they jump off, and they're like, all right, Jesus, let's go. I, I don't know what happened to the fish, but they probably had a crew of people. So Peter's like, all right, so you, you, and you, you get the fish, you know, needs to go to the market, and then the money needs to go to my family. I, I don't know, you know. I don't know where it goes, but they, I'm sure there was a plan. I'm sure they didn't just sit there and rot on the boats, right? Um, there was a plan. Something happened there. But, you know, it's kind of interesting to think about about that. And maybe that, that the, the selling of the fish was able to provide for, like, Peter's family while he's following Jesus for the next few years. You know, we're not quite sure um, how all that worked out. Um, but this is the real deep water right here. Because being a Christian means that we learn to trust Jesus with everything. And that's, like, now you're starting to kind of like, all right, God, now you're trying to pry a little, a little bit here. And honestly, we're probably not willing or no even know how to trust God with everything. And so God just take, you know, he urges us to, to give him one thing at a time, usually. He's like, oh, this one right here, I need, 
You know, I know you want to have control over that, but you're going to have to give that to me. And um, it's hard as Americans. We have a lot of stuff. We've worked hard for a lot of stuff. We've got careers and jobs and houses and everything, and we have learned to control our destinies and our future and our vacations. And God's like, those are all good things, but I want you to, like, let go of the control of really everything in your life. Is, is really. And if the boat is representing our lives, what is he asking us to do? He's like, I want you to abandon your boat on the shore and come follow me. I want you to be willing to, like, let it all go. I mean, that's, that's, that's a little varsity, right? Like, that's, that's a lot. And honestly, I don't think God—I mean, I, I've been in sermons where I've heard preachers preach on this stuff and just laid down the guilt real thick, you know? And I, honestly, I, think, I don't think Jesus is about guilt. He's like, I'm going to kick you one step at a time. We'll get there. We'll get there, but let's just take one thing at a time, right? What is it that God's asking you to let go of control of today? Not everything. I'm not, I'm not asking you to take care of everything, but just what is the one thing? Your career, your finances, your schedule, your kids, your future. God's asking us to trust him in those things. Trust him in those things. All right, as we, uh, as we wrap this up here, um, you know, maybe you are not that far in your journey with Jesus. Maybe you're like me when I showed up on that rock climbing day claiming to be a rock climber and not having a clue what I was doing. In fact, I, you can't really say I was a rock climber. I hadn't actually climbed rocks, right? And even after the first day, I, like, I knew all the like, things you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. It didn't make me a rock climber. That made me, I know, up here, but it's way different up here than when you're hanging off the you know, edge of a rock and you're like, oh crap, I'm going to die. Right? That's a different level of being. And I think we got to be honest with ourselves. Where are we really at? And I think it's okay to go to God and say, God, I don't know if I believe in you. You think God's afraid of you saying that to him? Because if you can admit that to yourself and you can admit that to him, then God can say, cool, let's just take you one step. But when we're saying like, I, I'm a full-in Christian. Everything I have is yours. And I know all the words of the songs. And I know everything. And I'm faking it for everybody. Especially yourself. Right? And God says, I, I want you to trust me with the next step. I want you to be clear about where you're at. So you can trust me with the next thing. So back to the beginning. Maybe, you know, maybe you're, you know, just barely there. Maybe you're living your life and it's, you know, you're kind of stuck on the shore. Maybe God's trying to interrupt you. Like, I want to spend some time with you. I'm like, I'm too busy. Got to make that money. I got kids. I got mouths to feed, right? Like, and God's like, I want to, I just want to interrupt you. I want to I sit on your boat for a little while. I, wanna, I want you to listen to me. I think it's interesting. A lot of times when we spend time with God, we use it to, to, to give him our list of things we want. All right, God, here are the things I need today, you know? So, all right, well, that's a good plan, God's saying, but like, when's my turn to tell you what things I've, I've got on my agenda for today, right? He asks us to do that. 
And then it's time to trust him that with our actions in the deep, to actually move, actually go where it's uncomfortable when we're tired and we don't want to. Like Peter, he's tired. He doesn't want to get back on his boat. He's already got that boat hitched up to his, you know, his rig. They're about to, you know, they're about to head back out. He's like, oh, when are you put that boat back in the water? We got stuff. I want some more to do some more fishing. He's like, yeah, I've been fishing for all, all day, all night. I don't want to fish anymore. Sometimes God's calling us to do what we don't want to do. So wherever you're at, whatever you have going on in your life, I just want to spend the next 30, 45 seconds, and I want you just to take some self-reflection and just say, God, I trust you in the interruptions. God, I trust you in the deep water. God, I trust you with my brokenness. God, I trust you with everything. And let's hear Jesus say, do not be afraid to take the next step. Let's just take a few seconds and, and reflect on that, and then I'll close in prayer. Lord, it isn't easy what you call us to do. Lord, our hearts are broken and they want to go a bunch of different directions. Lord, help us to trust you, to put our faith in you, to take